Good morning, everybody. How are you today? Bezrat Hashem, today we'll be learning Daf Mem Ches in Masacha Sukkah. And we begin with the Mishnah on top of Daf Mem Ches. I had the opportunity to listen to Rav Aryeh Leibowitz, the great Daf Yomi Master Shlita. Uh, noticed I made the great Daf Yomi Master now part of his core name. And he discusses things from Harei Kedem, the Rav of Shechter, you know, his Rebbeim about a very interesting aspect of Shemini Atzeres, and that's where we're going to start today. The hybrid aspect of Shemini Atzeres. You see, the Moadim come up, the three separate uh, parshios in the Torah, Parshas Pinchas, Parshas Emar, and Parshas Re'eh. And those who pay attention to the nuances in how the different holidays are listed will note that they are listed with a different focus. Some are listed with the focus on the ritual and Karbanos, okay? Others, more how they pertain to the Simcha and the Regalim. And so you would say that you would split it up in terms of Kedusha, Sayom, and theme as far as thematic linkage, as well as sort of like celebratory linkage. And I'll tell you what I mean. See, this is where Shemini Atzeret becomes so interesting. Because in terms of the Korbanos, uh, of the Musaf in particular, and what we would call the Kedusha Sayom, it is very much linked in the Psukim to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So it's very much seen as a culmination, okay, of the Yomim Noraim that are upon us. And in so doing, it has some of those characteristics, and that makes it, in fact, different from Sukkot. Because Sukkot is Mansim Chaseinu, and then Shemini Atzeret is really, at the end of the day, putting a cap both on Sukkot and all the celebrations therein, and on the Yom Noraim and all of the celebrations therein, where I have to, at this point, give a giant shout-out to my good, dear Chaver, Rabbi Rafal Willig Fulchi Willig Shlita, who is always doing the around the world uh, throughout the year, annual cycle, Kaddish, at the end of Simchas Torah slash Semini Atzeres, it's one day only in Ramat Beit Shemesh, but when he does that, that's always the highlight of the year in Shul. Anyway, um, maybe we'll get a separate, I think I have an audio of it, uh, and a separate audio. The point is that really Shemini Atzeret wraps up the whole thing, and it wraps up both Sukkot and the Yom Narayim. And so you see in a very, very fascinating way if you show that it's just a continuation of Sukkot, which in some of the Psukim it seems that way, because it certainly is the eight days of Simcha, so then in that way it is similar to Sukkot. And in other ways, in all the ways we mentioned at the end of yesterday's uh, shir, at the top of Memchas Medalf, we talk about the six ways at least in which it's different, and it's a Yontiv Bifneyatzmo, it has a different theme. And so all the questions can happen. If you sit in the Sukkot, we have take, uh, taken the uh, Gan through, right, trying to make Shemini Atzeris different from Sukkot in the ways that they're thematically not supposed to be linked, and yet allow them to be the same as Sukkot in the way that they are linked. And we're going to see uh, plenty, a plethora of examples today, and so just to set up that thematic backdrop, I think, is uh, is valuable. Okay, so digging into the Mishnah as follows. Says the Mishnah. Now, this Mishnah um, is really, these are all a continuation, right, of the Mishnah that we had in Membez, where it went through the day, right? The Mishnah says, Luluva, Rava, Shiva, Veshiva, Halava, and that was basically what we discussed until now, uh, how we have the seven days and, and the six days and the calendrical doubt of Shemini Atzeres. But now we're talking Halal, Simcha, Shmona, Sukkah, Venisich, Hamayim, Shiva, and that's what we're going to discuss today. And then Bezrat Hashem tomorrow, we'll discuss the Halil and the Simcha's base Hashoeva. So let's talk today about the Halal 
and we'll talk about the Nisu Chamaim. So we'll start with the Halal. Says the Mishnah. Halal v'asimcha shmona ketzad. How do you have Halal? So you see here, there's one, the Simcha aspect is something that runs throughout Sukkot and into Shminyat How is it that you have the eight days? So this is an unusual application, as Rav Simon Wolfschlita points out, of the word ketzad. It's not really meaning how do you possibly do it. It's just the question is, what is it? Uh, how is this? So, Milamet Shechayev Adam, Behal of the Simcha, Chvod Yom Tev, Achron Shelchag. You know, as we know how it is, it's just what it is. We say Halal every day of Sukkis, and also on Shemini Atzeris, which is to teach you that a person is Chayev and Halal of Simcha. And in Chavad Yontav Ha'acharon Shelchag, even in Shmini Atzeres, which here is referred to Ha'acharon Shelchag. So there again, we see, right, in that context, it's considered almost like a continuation of Sukkot. Bishar Kol Yamosachag, just like all the other days of Sukkot. So we see here again, um, just like other all the other days of Chag, which is to say, in this sense, Shmini Atzeres is a continuation of Sukkot, just like all the other days of Sukkot, as if that's always obvious. It's not, but with regard to Halal of Simcha, it is. Asks the Gemara. Minan Emili. How do we know this idea of Simcha on the eighth day? See, here we have the concession to the fact that it's maybe not so obvious. Because it says, right, don't forget. It says, when it says to be happy, it, it describes Sukkot as being seven days. So how do we know that the eighth day? There's nothing specific telling you. So we learn it from the following. It says in the Pasuk, right, with regards to Sukkot, right, that Shiva Yamim, Right, you should celebrate. But then it says, and also you should be extra joyous. Okay, so once you're saying you should be extra joyous, that extra measure of joy, um, right, you should be. The Pasuk appears in Devarim over here, Perak Tes Zain, and it says, this is all referring to Sukkot, Shiva Siyamim Tachog Lashem, and then finishes the Pasuk, You should also be happy, ah, so the Pasuk Pshat, you should also be happy on Shemini Atzeres. Okay. Says the Gemara, or Eino Eli Yom Tavrishon. Maybe it's only including the first night of Yantiv. Wait, why? What's happening here? So Rashi has to explain that the simcha that's going on here, Rashi already on the Mishnah, when it says halal v'simcha halal, we know what it is. It's the recitation of halal. Simcha, Rashi says, is shalmi simcha. It's talking about the korbanos. Okay. So, well, when you have a chag, you bring the korbanos shlamim, and then you have to bring the korban during the day. That's when you do the actual avodah, because avodah is only done during the day after all. And then you eat it, okay, afterwards. You can eat it, let's say, that night. So here's the chiddush, right? You need to have a pasuk to teach you that you're going to even have Shalmei Simcha on the first day. Why? Because after all, in order to have Shalmei Simcha on the first day, if that were to be true, then you would have to prepare that korban on Erev Yontiv. That's a chidush in itself. So now we find ourselves with two chidushim, right? Two things that are not explicit. Do we have the Simcha on Shemini Atzeres, which would mean that like the night before we would prepare the korban, or the day before rather, for that night? Right, so again, on the last day, like on Hoshana Rabbah, you're going to be preparing, you're going to be bringing the carbon so that you can eat the shlamim, right, outside or inside the sukkah, depending how you hold, right, you're going to be eating the shlamim on Shemini Atzeres night as Shalmei Simcha. That's a chiddush. Uh, alternative, uh, on the on the front end, there's also a chiddush, that you'd be having the, the Shalmei 
right? The shlamim, the carbon shlamim, you'd be makrivit on erev yontiv so that you could eat it that first night in your sukkah. Both of them are a chiddush. So the Gemara at this point is asking, right, how do we know which one of these is being, um, is being included, right, with the v'hayisach sameach? So the Brisa answers sort of ambiguously, Kishahu Omer Ach Chilek. When it says Ach, it qualifies. That's interesting. That means that Ach, and we have already, we're familiar with this with, uh, with having learned Psachim, the concept of Ach Chilek, right? And the concept that it can be exclusive as well. Generally speaking, by the way, Ach is totally exclusive. Gam is inclusive. Um, so Mepharshim explained that it's the, really the Sa'ach Sameach, or the Sameach itself that makes it inclusive. Be that as it may, so we have this inclusion of Ach, but on the other hand, we have the Ach Chilike component, which excludes one of the two, which leads us to learn that only one of these two is going to have the Shalmei Simcha. So which is it going to be? Are we going to prepare it on Erev Yantiv for the first day, or are we going to prepare it on Hoshana Rabbah for afterwards for the following Yantiv? Says the Gemara, Umara Isa Larabah Slele Yantiv Acharon. What did you see that compelled you to say that it's in fact Shemini Atzeres as described in our Mishnah? Because after all, we know already how this is going to end because our Mishnah says that Ha'alava Simcha Shemona. So we know that it's referring to that eighth day. Says the Gemara. Some version of this, although the Mepharshim will explain and try to nail down exactly how this means, it basically means, are we going to begin early or are we going to continue afterwards? Answer, continuing afterwards makes more sense because we're, we've already, we're riding the momentum. There's a simcha already, and so we're just to continue the simcha makes more sense than it does to just start from scratch before we even are, ever have the chiv of simcha and to have and to have that preparatory simcha. So hosafas simcha is more intuitive um, as we continue from yantiv than before. I would have said it also happens to be yantiv, but you know that's balabatish. You know because we're already used to the fact that there is the chiv simcha on on shmini uh, and besides, you know. If you are technically talking only about Shalmei, Simcha, and Mizbech, so there's like technical issues here that have to do with halacha, but it's certainly thematically we can understand why that extra measure of Simcha would be applied to Shemini Atzeres as opposed to Erev Yantiv. Um, and so for us, it's where the being a Balabas uh, makes it easier to understand. As Rev Pinchas Groshut always tells me, um, the Brisker Rav always used to refer to his Pshat as Balabatish because that means it's real. Okay. Says the next Mishnah. Sukkah, Shiva, Ketzaz. Okay, what's going on here? A fascinating idea. You're leaving your Sukkah on Hoshana Rabbah. And the question is, not exactly Ketzad, how do you have a Sukkah on Shiva? Because all you have to do is build a Sukkah and then have it up on the seventh day. But the question is, how do you behave on Hoshana Rabbah when you're leaving the Sukkah? There again, so see, here we see there's an issue we need to have some sort of leaving the sukkah to create Shemini um, Atzeres, to allow Shemini Atzeres to have it, the glory of its full day. It can't just be a leftover poor man's version of sukkahs. It has to have its own sanctity and its own flavor. And so in order to do that, we have to have some visible aspect of our sukkah, which is going to be different. So says the Mishnah. How is that so? Gamar First of all, so you finish eating your meal. Um, people know the salacha of customarily eating on Hoshana Rabbah. It's one of the three meals uh, which my grandmother, Aleah Shalom, would tell you that you eat kraplach because it's Purim 
and the Suda that you have before Yom Kippur and on Hoshana Rabbah because you clap. You clap Homan, you clap al and you clap Arabos, right? And that's the, represented by the beating of the meat. Okay, a little Jewish culture there for all of us. Anyways, so that meal that you're having on Hoshana Rabbah in the Sukkah, right, you finish eating and what do you do? Loyal Don't take the Sukkah down. You should not disassemble it. I don't think you could disassemble it because you still have the mitzvah that is there supposed to be the entire day, right? And so let's say you're going to learn. Let's say you're going to nap. You have to. You still have to be in the sukkah, right? Sukkah isn't over. So you can't just disassemble it. That would not be uh, okay. That's what Rashi and other Mepharshim explain. But you have to have some sort of hacker. So what are you going to do? Says the Mishnah, so after mincha time already, you could start taking some of the, as Rashi explains, kalim, some of the dishes, some of the couches, take some, some of your stuff out. And again, a fascinating balance, as we say, we're transitioning and we want when Shemini Yatzerah to arrive, we want that to have its own flavor and its own glory. And amazingly, in order to do so, we're removing, removing some things from the sukkah such that even if we do end up sitting in the sukkah, it won't look like sukkahs no more. Okay. The Gemara says, Ain lo kalim the horrid mao. Really interesting question. What if you have, now presumably, really, really small sukkah and super bare bones, right? You got the aluminum special and you didn't even decorate it. You got just the table and some folding chairs. Nothing to change. If you're going to sit there, it's going to look exactly the same. What do you do? You need to have another hacker. That's just the suggestion of the Mishnah. What would you do in that case? Says the Gemara, lo kalim. Ela ki ishtamish ishtamish. What have you been doing until now? So the Gemara explains, Ela lo mahu. In other words, yeah, it was bare bones. He had no place in the sukkah. And so he has no place with, from which to bring down. This is the simplest way to understand it. Basically, it, it was a bare-bones situation. So if it was a super bare-bones situation, what kind of other hacker can he have, right? This was not the Bells of Rebbe sukkah. This was like uh, some very, very, very posh sukkah. And so what would the hacker be? So Rebchir bar ashi amar, poches ba arba. Woo! What a suggestion. Take Ford's fucking wide opening for out of the schach. The Rishonim go ballistic because as we've already learned from the beginning of the Masechta you only need three Tvachim to take off to make the Schach puzzle what is going on? many many suggestions uh, personal fave of our daf splaining is the sheet of the Ritva the Ritva describes the following kind of Sukkah a very, stand, a very um, familiar Sukkah which is, has four walls uh, very interesting indeed if you have four walls so then, if you only took away three tfachim, then you could, in theory, bisect the sukkah into two three-walled sukkahs, and with each one having less than three tfachim off, it would not be puzzle. In fact, the Ritva is saying it doesn't even have to be puzzle, because after all, what are we going after here? We don't need to puzzle the sukkah per se. We just want to create a heker to make this sukkah different than, and in order to have the covered for Shemini Atzeres. And therefore, what is the significance of the four tfachim? It's a makam chashuv. So now we're borrowing, not from Masechah Sukkah, but rather from Masechah Shabbos, the idea of the four Tfachim being a makam chashiv. Once you have a makam chashiv, so you apply it to the sukkah and you say, okay, the sukkah is still kosher. Um, you can bisect it because it's a four-walled sukkah, but according to the Ritva, you still have a very recognizable hole, and hence that is the reason for four dafka, four tfachim. Otherwise, it seems like an arbitrary number. Very, very nice. So that is one way that Rokhia bar Rashi, that's his way of making the hekka in the sukkah. However, there's a second suggestion brought here in the Gemara, Rebishua ben Levi Amar Madlik Ba'ez Aner. You're going to light the Ner. We already learned earlier 
that if you have a small sukkah, you shouldn't really light a nair in there for two reasons. Number one, those neros used to be super foul smelling and therefore in a small sukkah, it's very hard for that to diffuse and therefore it would be nasty and it would not be kain to dura and it would not be enjoyable and therefore you wouldn't be able to sit in there. Or alternatively, you could burn the place down if it's so small. So, says the Gemara, low pligi. These two suggestions of either taking the dalad amos or the burning of the candle are not actually um, in, right? They're not actually talking about the same case and contradicting and arguing on each other, but rather halan v'halahu. Fascinating. He's saying the following. Obviously, Rabbi Shuman Levi, one is talking about Eretz Yisrael, one is talking about Bavel. One is an Eretz Yisrael, Dikasvar, the other one's Bavel. Which do you think is which? So, I'll give it away. Obviously, Rabbi Shuman Levi, who says to light the candle, right, is talking about uh, Bavel. Because you're not allowed to, if you're going according to Rov Rishonim, that you need to pasal your sukkah in Eretz, in Chutzlar, it's in Bavel rather, you still have that Sveika de Yoma, where even though Baruch Haruchi and Loma Varchina, as we discussed yesterday, is still sitting in the sukkah. Most people, right, on Shemini Atzeres, normative halacha is to sit in the sukkah. And therefore, this suggestion would presumably be true um, uh, as the ideal, which is to figure out a way to uh, possible the sukkah without having to actually possible it, but actually make it uh, less pleasant or at least a hecker. It's, it's, um, it's a suggestion. Okay. However, that whole thing would only apply if you're talking about a sukkah katana. But sukkah dola, you have the giant Belzer sukkah, so then the little candle is going to do nothing. That's not going to be a hecker at all. Uh, on the contrary, you might be lighting candles in there just to create ambiance. So, says the Gemara, the ma'ayel b'mani michla. Aha. Wow. You're bringing in the dirty dishes into the sukkah. Dama Rabba, you might recall, that we were talking about sukkah etiquette earlier in the Masechta, and we said, do you have to, in order to create, right, a good ambience in the sukkah, you have to clear away the dirty dishes uh, of the food, not necessarily the dirty glasses, because dirty glasses are not quite as nasty. So in this case, you're purposely leaving in the dirty dishes in order to show that it's not really as geshmak of a sukkah. It's not really sukkahs, right? As the Gemara here concludes, Dama Rabba, Mane michla bar mitalalasa, mane mishtaya bim talalata. Right? That eating, that the dishes for the food should be taken outside, but those drinking utensils do not. Okay, so now we arrived at the Mishnah at the bottom of Memchesim and Aleph, and we are past now, um, right, our discussion of the Halal, and we said how we're going to leave the Sukkah. Now we're going to talk about Nisuch Hamaim, this very, very exciting thing that was exclusive to Sukkah's and Shemini Atzeres. How is this Nisuch HaMayim done? Here, it's actually a question of how it's done. Says the Mishnah, Nisuch HaMayim Ketzad. How do you do the Nisuch HaMayim? Says the Mishnah, Tzluchis Shelzov, Machzekes Shloshalugim Hayamim Malim Inishaloach. Take a golden flask, that's three lugin, which is somewhere between three cans and a six-pack worth of fluid, and Hayamim Malim Min HaShiloach. Ah, the famous waters of the Shiloach, uh, which, if you take some tunnel tours, God willing, we're going to be in the old city. Fisherline, if all goes well this year, and we all will, should be. If all goes well, we have to already have tickets. And uh, God willing, if that works out, you could do a tour. You could see the Me'ashilach. You could walk through Sharmaim, as the Mishnah says. He the Sharmaim. They returned from the Me'ashilach to the base of Mikdash through the Sharmaim, so called, as Rashi explains, right? 
It's a mayan that's close to Yerushalayim. That's one, as Rashi says, it's a chad mishare azara. It's one of the uh, right gates to the azara, and it's in fact so called because you're bringing the tzluch shomayim of this nisuch hamayim on the chag. So there is the shar hamayim. Anyway, then taku v'hiriv taku. Here is where Rashi gets on the action and he explains that. Um, it's because of Simcha, just as Tosfos had explained before. You're doing Tekiyas here, as it says, very famously, Ushaftem Mayim Betsason. That when you do the Sheiva Samayim, you do it with joy. We're going to talk about the, what Sason is relative to Simcha soon enough, God willing. But, so, you are taking out, right, and this is what the Gemara is going to explain. That's why you are blowing, and you're very, very joyous right now. When you're bringing this water up, it's a very joyous time. Then Allah Akevis Supanalis Malo. Then the coin takes this flask of water, going up on the ramp of the amp and of the Mizbeach, and turns to his left. Whoa, wrong way, buddy. We learned in Masechas Yuma. We went through great painstaking right examples to show that the coin always goes to the right, as we'll learn in the Gemara. There are in fact three. Uh, scenarios where the coin does, in fact, instead of turning to the right, turn to the left, and this is one of those three. We'll get there, God willing. Okay. Then, there were two silver bowls on the southwest corner of the Mizbeach. Uh, silver bowls, complicated. The Mizbeach isn't supposed to have any metal, as you might uh, recall. Um, well, maybe not Kalim, maybe they're attached to it. Be that as it may, Rabbi Huda says they're not even uh, silver. Rather, Rabbi Huda Omer shall sit on you. They're made out of plaster. And they looked silver, like uh, tarnished silver, because of the silver-like appearance of the yain, as we'll explain. Now, a little bit more about the bowls. Umnu Kavin. They had they were perforated. They had holes in it. As we turn to Man Ches Amad Beis, Kimin Dakin, like two uh, nostrils that are thin. Like my grandmother, quoting my same grandmother twice, they look like two nostrils of a nice Gaiyash Nezaleh. Okay, that's probably inappropriate. The point is, two thin nostrils. One of the holes was, in fact, thicker than the other. Rashi is going to have to give it away here, right? After all, what are you talking about now? The yain is more viscous than the water. And we want the rate of flow to be the same, says Rashi. And therefore, you can have a, one that's wider, one that's uh, not as wide. This gets to be a little bit of discussion. Tostos doesn't think so. He thinks it has to do with the thickness of the lip of the thing. We'll go Rashi here, a little bit more straightforward. Uh, nostrils, one big, being bigger than the other, in order to accommodate the viscosity of the liquid poured therein. Anyway, what's going on here? As the Mishnah continues to explain, you want them both to drain out at the same time. See, Rashi is going to discuss um, the plumbing here. Let's do this first, Rashi in Chesam and Beis. It So basically what we're saying now is we're pouring it into these nostrils, and there was a hole, and in there that Mayim and the Yain are going, they're mixing together, and they go into these two tubes, into the um, very much larger and deeper um, right, pipes of the Mizbeach. So Rashi takes you through the journey through the, the Mizbeach, fascinating and exciting. May I be to see it soon. And they would drain simultaneously, and in order to enable them to drain simultaneously, that accounted for the relative aperture difference in the two holes. Now, Marava shel Maim Mizrachal shel Yain. Okay, 
So the one that was more on the west was of the water, and the one that was more on the east was for the wine. Now, Wow. Now, the Pashup shot in this mission is what Rashi says, that if you poured that uh, the water into accidentally the bigger nostril that's supposed to be for the wine and the wine into the smaller nostril which is for the water and thus you're going to end up having right these disparate little water uh, these liquid flows through right the the pipes and they don't exactly go in at the same time it's not an akev right you're still going to be yotze you don't have to go and redo this uh, procedure fascinatingly the Rambam, it becomes a giant Vartar and major hawk. He says this differently in Hilchos Tamidim Musafim. He says that what you did is you mixed the wine and the water together, and instead of pouring the wine and the water separately, you actually made an admixture of what we would call Yain Mazug and poured that down. And you're still Yotze, which is shocking and even more shocking when you know that Yain Mazug can't be used on the Mizbeach. So now we're really in a conundrum. So that's where you get. It's saving you and saying, yeah, the reason why Yain Mazug can't be used on a Mizbech is because you're using water, which normally is not used for, the, for any of the carb car, of the Nisucha Yain, right? And you're contaminating, so to speak, the Yain by having water incorporated into it. Now you've ruined the Yain. You can't use Nisucha Yain with Yain Mazug that's mixed with water. That's true all the days of the year, except for the days where there is an Isuch On those days, you do in fact pour the water in, as, in, as we've discussed, in the procedure of Nisuch And therefore, on the days when the water is used on the Mizbech, Yain Mazug would be used on the Mizbech. And even though it's still not ideal, and the typical way to do it is to pour the water and the wine separately, pouring them together is not Me'akev, and you are still Yotze according to the Rambam. That is a beautiful shot, I think, indeed. I don't know how many people know it. Maybe it's Pashat. I don't know. I had to say it over in a voice note to Rabbi Gross because if he didn't know it, I know that he would want to. But the chances that he didn't know it are almost non-existent. Okay. Rabbi Yudha Omer Belug Hayam Nasach Kol Shemono. Oh, by the way, he responded. He said Shkoyach, which is very ambiguous. <laughs> I think if he... Okay, I'm not going to get involved in this now. Rabbi Yudha Omer Belug Hayam Nasach Kol Shemono. Rabbi Yehuda said that the Kohen poured the water using one lug. Oh, see, belug hayam instead of three lugim. It goes back to the Hare Kedem. It's not for now, but the three lugim are the minimum that you have to bring with the Karbanos. Is the Nisuch HaMayim part of the Karbanos, or is it its own separate thing? And uh, there are those, like Rav Herschel Shechter Shlita, as quoted by Ravari Leibowitz, the great Tafiyomi Master Shlita, they say that... Um, that this is kind of like a hakira that's reflective, right, of the nature of Shemini Atzeres, that could even play into this machlokas, whether you need one log or three log of the water. Be that as it may, it says, when you do the procedure, you pour it down, and we say to the person who is pouring the water, raise your hand, buddy, I want to see this. This The reason you have to do this is because one time there was an incident. Anytime there was an incident, you can almost bet it had to do with its dukim fact of the matter is, there are those who say that this particular incident was a watershed tzeduki moment, as we will explain. The Kohen, at that point, who was in charge, poured the water onto his feet as if to say, I am not taking part of this. The tzedukim did not believe in the Nisachamayim ceremony on that day, and he did it intentionally. Oh, wow. That is... That is now, again, because Nisuch as we already mentioned, on Dav Aleph, it's not explicit in the Psukim. 
it's right ushavte mayim sason and etc. So all right, so Tzadukim not into it. Tzadukim were very very firm. They were really passionate about not following what what the rabbis had to say. Anyway, so um, okay, so he poured it on his water, and there was consequences. Urgamu kolam be'esrogim. Well, he was pelted to death with people's esrogim. You might remember this from Yuma. I think in Maseches Yuma it was in Daf Chafav when we noted that this Mishnah is quoting the esrogim in particular to teach you that Nisach was done in the morning because that's in fact when people are holding their lulav and esrog. Should I read the art scroll note? I, I have to, I think, because we're doing it remotely. I'll take advantage. This I, every every word is gold over here. The history. This is talking about it obviously by Shani. You know, up until that point, the Chashmonaim were doing pretty well. This is you have to look up Josephus. If anybody has a copy of Antiquities, it's in chapter thirteen. Now, what happened was Alexander Yanai was the king. He was the Kohen here. And he was a Hashmonai, and he was the one that was doing this, uh, that, that was doing this Nisach and pouring at his feet. Now, why is this a turning watershed moment in that Jewish history? Because actually, up to that point, the Hashmonaim, who famously we view as being good guys, right? They were faithful, and they were all Shemar Torah mitzvahs. They were good yeshivish guys. Now, there were some there was some nuniks in there, but on the whole, they were wholesome and uh, Torah-abiding people. Now, Alexander Yana himself, uh, on the surface, seemed like a good dude initially, but uh, never so on the inside. He was actually quite quite a jerk. And However, the, he didn't really let his guard down. For the first eight years of his reign, everybody said, okay, there was like... Right, this uh, plausible deniability that he was maybe a tzaddik, even though there's something off about him. And the ninth year, he's like coming out and saying, I'm going to reveal myself. I don't care about this stuff. I'm a tzaduki. And he was going to start a scene. So publicly degrading the avoda, pouring the water on his feet, the outrage, they throw a strogam at him. And now a foreign mercenary ar- army gets in, massacres 6,000 people that are trying to Pelt him to death with a srogim. And that is when there became a real fear in Klal Yisrael with respect to the tzdukim. And that fear emboldened the tzdukim. And that's when being a tzduki and the threat became super real. So it was really at this watershed moment at this incident. So therefore I thought it was bared mentioning it uh, when this mission is mentioning the incident over here in the Locus Classicus where the mission mentions the scene. Okay. Now, this whole thing of getting the water uh, from the Meshiloach is complicated on Shabbos because in Shabbos you can't carry that stuff. So what did you do? Says the Mishnah. That they would do the same thing uh, once they got into the base of Mikdash um, on Shabbos as well, but they would get the water in a different way. They would fill a barrel that was golden uh, on Erev Shabbos. Okay, this is similar to what we saw with the Arava ceremony, where they would always pluck them fresh every day, except for on Shabbos, they would pluck them on Erev Shabbos and put it in a golden bowl with water so as not to become wilted. Now here, we have a golden barrel and we're taking the water and we're keeping it overnight. Now, what's this Enamekudeshes? The Gemara will explain. I'll say a little bit ahead outside, which is that once it's Mekudash, that water can't have Lina. Right, that water can't stay overnight. So we had to have a non-Mikudash barrel in order to, because by definition we're going to be keeping it overnight because we're obviously 
taking it on Erev Shabbos for Shabbos. But we've said too much. We'll see a little bit more in detail tomorrow. Be that as it may, when you leave that barrel in, in the chamber until the next day, and then if the water at some point spilled and became uncovered, then then it's no longer usable, then you're going to have to use that kior, the famous golden flask of the kior, which I guess is not as good, because it's not in my nehai shua, but at least it's water that's not problematic. And then, right, because after all, my megulin and yain megula, exposed yain and water, are in fact problematic. They're not usable for the mizbeach. Okay, the uh, predominant reason at the time that was that was assumed for that is because of the venom, snake's venom that might be in there. Anyway, okay, the Gemara says, how do we know that we blow the trumpets as we mentioned in the Mishnah? I'm a rabbi. No, this is actually already, right, uh, jumped the gun and told us, the Amar Kro, Shaftin Mayim Besasson. You shall, right, um, draw out the water, Besasson, with tremendous joy. Now we're going to have a story, believe it or not. This story is unbelievable with a guy, a dude named Sasson and a dude named Simcha. A story. Can you imagine? And the story is going to make not that much sense. As a matter of fact, it's a story of two minim, minim uh, heretics. And so why do we have a nonsensical story of heretics saying nonsensical things? We're going to give a thread of two pshatim. I'll say it outside first because then you could sort of plug it in and play along with me as I read the story. The story is like this. A guy named Sasson and a guy named Simcha, they're both telling each other, I'm better than you and I'm better than you, using sources inaccurately and just basically misquoting everything and making a whole mess of the whole thing. What is going on? So there's a couple of ways of explaining it. One way is it's just this nonsensical thing. It's like listening to two politicians running for office. Basically, they're, all they're doing is saying some self-serving gibberish. It doesn't have to be connected to any thread of logic. And basically, that's what's going on here. That's one way of saying it. The only question is, why would the Gemara uh, have any reason to record such a discussion? So some say different things. It happens to be the Gura of all people has a deeply Kabbalistic approach in Perish al Kama Agados of this specific story, okay, the, um, the Malbim and others, they bring up a fascinating thing. And I think this is really the direction that we want to take it, which is, we, um, it's very interesting, right? Sukkot is Zman Simchasenu. And we also have the Nisach Mayim, where we say, Ushaftim Mayim Bisasson, Mimayne Yeshua. So there's Simcha and there's Sasson. So the question is, what is Simcha and what is Sasson? So the Malbim explains, I heard, um, I think Ari Leibowitz, the great Tafiyomi Master Shlita, explain this. I uh, saw so the art school explain it, and that resonated with me a little bit more. It's, it, I understand it as follows. Simcha is the kind of happiness that comes with contentment. If anybody wants to hear a shir about happiness, I encourage you highly to look at Y.U. Torah and search Dr. Pelkovitz on happiness. That is a great shir. Anyway, he actually has done a tremendous amount of research and thought, given a lot of thought to the topic of happiness. And he himself talks about happiness keeping like a straight line, connecting to the past, present, and future, basically fulfilling your potential in the link in the chain. It's a kind of inner peace that comes with, right, right, which is, the bottom line is, the simcha, which we're talking about, is a very much an inner piece of, like I said, self-actualization and fulfillment of our mission. That is true, what we call simcha. Sason is not a bad thing. Sason is the joy, the emotional component, which is the emotional joy and ecstasy that one can uh, experience within. Now, we say that 
the external joy. I'll bring, bring in a dental aspect here. These are actually all of the um, experiments done by Kahneman at all, where if you actually force your face into a smile, then your mood and your hormones and your emotions and everything lifts. Without you even noticing it, you look at everything in a positive light. So it, we're not actually trying to downplay Sasson. There is an aspect of mood lifting and being positive and being happy and being emotionally happy. That's important too. Uh, but Simcha is kind of like a more, right, a more real goal. Where am I going with this? Because there is a chicken and egg aspect to Sasan and Simcha. Are you supposed to hype yourself up and get, get excited and get pumped uh, and juiced and, and emotionally in order to achieve Simcha? Or is it that you first should work on Simcha and then from there, in, and then and from there appreciate uh, some of the joy and fun and emotion that goes with it? Now, the truth of the matter is, that really, Bezat Hashem, we should be Zochet to Sasson and Simcha. The question is, where do you start? From Sasson and Simcha. And so that's the allegorical discussion here, but it's brought about as a conversation between two Nudnik politicians trying to outdo each other as follows. Says the Gemara. Hanu Tremine, there were two, right, heretics. Chachme Sasson, Chachme Simcha. Amalei Sasson the Simcha. So joy said to happiness, we'll call it like that. Uh, I'm better than you, Simcha, because it says joy and Simcha you should attain, right? This seems to indicate that joy precedes Simcha. The emotion precedes the, uh, the, the Simcha. I'm like Simcha Sasson. Oh, yeah? Ah, very famously, right? Simcha Sasson la Yehudim in the Megillah. It's Esther, right? And so we say that Simcha came before Sasson there. Amalei Sasson and Simcha. Chad parvanaka. One day, right, the heavens are going to strip you of your status and instead they're going to make you a scout for me. Why? That Simcha is going to come out and he's going to call out as if to say, uh, here comes Sasson. So Simcha said, yeah, there's our Sasson. He says, they're going to use you as a water bag. Because that's what it says. You are going to, he's explaining the Pasuk literally, they're going to draw out water with Sasson, uh, i.e. water bag. So I'm going to So now a related discussion, side, side discussion here. That the heretic named Sasson said to Rabbi Bell, Asidusu dismaluli maila alma de ase dixiv ushavti maim sasson. He said, Wait a minute. The Jews are destined to draw water for me in Olam Haba, because it says you're going to draw water with Sasson. So he says, See how chashiv I am? I'm going to be the vehicle with which the Jews are going to, right, draw water for themselves. So Amalei Rabbi Bell said to him, You have exiv less Sasson kedikita amart. I would understand if you said, if you draw water for Sasson, then he thinks, right, he thinks they're going to draw water for me. He didn't think that he was going to be the vehicle. He thought that he was going to be the recipient of the water. Uh, Rabbi Yabal had to explain to him. It says, So he's basically saying the same thing that Simcha said to him. You're going to be a water bag, dude. That's not a good thing. You have a ksiv. If it had said for you, I'd understand. But here it says, with Sasson, it just means, right? That the skin of that person, the mashkeh of that, of Hagavra, is going to made into a canteen, right? And then Malin Maya, you're just a water bag. Aha. Well, that's the story. Good story indeed. And now we're at the two dots, 
right, the second line up from the wide lines. Going up the ramp, says the Gemara, Allah bekeves, bekevesh, he turned left. What are you doing turning left? Right away. We quoted this in Yuma. This is actually most famously uh, mentioned in Zvachim, uh, as we will see. That's Rami Bar Yecheskel talking about the Masech Zvachim. That's what we quoted in Yuma as well. Anyway, they're going up to the left side. Amazing. And oh, by the way, so that's a typical way. That's the continuation of that Tanar Rabbanu. The Brisa basically says you go Derech Yamin, right? You go up the ramp. The ramp is on the south, so you're going up northward. And then, if you were to turn right, you'd be turning east. If you were to turn left, you'd be turning west. Now you're supposed to turn right, so you turn right. And by turning right, now you're going east, and then you go up the east coast of the Mizbeach, and then up along the north coast, and in a uh, what turns out to be a counterclockwise fashion, okay? But it, it comes from first turning right. In other words, that's the irony. By the fact that you're turning right, you're going to turn, so to speak, left on a clock, but that's not the point. The point is you're turning right as you rise up the ramp, and that's the way you're supposed to go, and thus go counterclockwise around the Mizbeach. That's what the Bryce said. However, there are three exceptions, as we discussed, as follows. Except for he who rises along the ramp for the following three reasons. In all three of these instances, you're going to go up the left side and just go back the way you came. So uh, you're really going to go up, like, almost you're going to stick to the west side of the Mizbeach over here. And basically, these are all going to be things that you're going to do in the southwest corner. So... In all of these areas, I would, I would have said that the reason why you do it is because you're taking the shortest possible route. You want to go and you want to just go directly. You want to fly direct instead of with stopovers in order to get directly to your destination. However, there is a more technical reason. I'll just say it outside first. What happens is the Mizbech is, in fact, smoking and it's filled with billowing smoke. And thus, all these things are going to be things where if smoke sort of contaminates them, it could ruin them. And here are finally the three things as follows. We actually discussed the Nisuchamayim and Nisuchayan, as we know. So we're pouring into the nostrils. Where are they? They're in the southwest corner. Boom, they're right there. So you walk right to them and you pour it down. Now, you would normally follow this halacha of walking all the way to the right, but for the fact that they can get quite smoky by the time you get there. If they're smoky, they're puzzled. That's no good. And that is why, as it says, Shemei Tashenu Ba'ashan. And that is not good, uh, as Rashi explains. Okay, so that is the problem, and therefore you have to go direct as you can. What's this Olos Of Kshirafta Mizrach? So the Ofos, the ceremony was generally done on the southeast corner. However, we already talked about this in Yuma. There were episodes, times where it was so incredibly crowded that we let the overflow go into the southwest corner. Now, that southwest corner, uh, it was an interesting. Uh, aspect to it, which is that you're kind of standing in a different, slightly different way, and you're doing the music that uh, you're doing those ofos in a slightly different way. But basically, the theme there is that you are in fact um, doing the olos in the southwest corner, and that's why you're only going to be. And again, as Rashi had explained, even with those olos of shema tamus be'ashon, you're bringing the olos of if you had to carry the of all the way around uh, with all the smoke, you might literally smoke out and choke out the uh, the bird and you can't do that. So therefore you're going to first uh, um, make a beeline as it were for the Southwest corner when you're in one of those overflows and you have to do it not in the Southeast, but on the Southwest. So now two dots. 
three lines down in the wide. We're talking about the bowls. El Rabbi Huda says the bowls were actually made out of plaster, but the surfaces were darkened from wine. Well, we understood that the bowls could be darkened, but how did the bowl designated for water become darkened? That's just water, says the Gemara. Wow. See, we said that you're Yotze if you pour one into the other. So therefore the bowls themselves could in fact, either one could become darkened. Very good. That's how, says the, concludes the Gemara, that's how those water ones could also become darkened. Okay, what about these two nostrils? Does that mean that it's like a Behuda? Why? It's not, because we learned in the Mishnah. Remember, there was a Machlokas. The Rabbanon said it had to be three Logan. Maybe you just said it had to be one lug for the water. Okay. Well, the wine was always three lugin. So if the wine was three lugin and the water was one lug, that would explain why you have the discrepancy in the size of the nostrils. And that would be true for a Be'uda, right? Because as the uh, Gemara assumes at this point, it says, Because if it was like the Rabbanon, where both the water and the wine were both three lugin, so they both have the same volume, and therefore they should both have the same size nostrils. Therefore, the Gemara says, no, I feel the Rabbanon. If you hold, even if you hold that they're both three lugin, right? The uh, blood is thicker than wine, which is thicker than water. Which is to say, wine is thicker than water, it's more viscous, and that is why the aperture of the wine would be three, and you would need three lugin as opposed to, uh, the aperture of the wine would be three, whereas the aperture of the Water would only be uh, would be only a third of that. It would only be narrower. Oh, that also makes sense. The Rabbi Yehuda, had it been Rabbi Yehuda, right? The description is that that is a more marked difference. It would have said like wide and narrow. The tiny Rabbi when he talks about the two. Right, Kalim on top of the Mizbech. So when he's describing those Kalim, it says Shelyan. Of, of the yain and the maim, shall yain, pia rachav, shall maim, pia katsar. So he's describing the aperture of those kalim. He talks about wide versus narrow. That's a more dramatic difference. Whereas here, he just says no. He uses, right, uh, a the chotamim, the one was of, uh, of a, right, and one was thin. And those those terms are slightly less of a discrepancy. And therefore, kadesh yushneim, so it was done in order for them to drain both out simultaneously. So we have to infer from this that in fact this could be according to Rabbanan rather and not according to uh, Rabbi Yehuda because after all, had it been Rabbi Yehuda, he liked to use the Lashon Racha V'Katsar. That was not the Lashon of our Mishnah and therefore our Mishnah sounds more consistent with the uh, Lashon of the Rabbanan who hold that you have the three Lugin right for the Right, you have the three lugin for the uh, wine as well as the three lugin for the mayim. Okay, so we'll conclude here at the Tanar Abundan, three two dots, three lines up from the very bottom of Memchasam and Days.